Hi there everyone, it's Dave Levine here. Thanks for joining me for episode number 50 of the Sports Stories podcast. Now I'm delighted that we've got through to the 50th episode and to have you along the way has just been incredible. It's been a great journey and over the past year we've had some incredible guests, some incredible stories, some stories that we've never heard before and some real insights into people's worlds and also some real gems pearls of wisdom and some tips and guidance into how to live a really successful life either through sport or in sport. Now today's guest won't disappoint you. I'm delighted to have with me Mr Simon Clifford. Now Simon's got an incredibly interesting story. He's had some real highs, some real deep deep lows and he's such an open person that through his journey he's learned and developed a skill by which he's happy to tell his story in great detail. Now as always we really hope to not just entertain, but actually give you some real insights, some pearls of wisdom to really make you think. So I would just like to encourage you for this 50th episode to really sit back, digest the episode, take on board the questions and the tips that are spoken and the gems that come out. You may wish to go on your bike if that's what you do, or you may wish to just take it quietly, get a pen and paper and take some notes down. Uh, but I would really suggest that you make the most of this episode like any other is full of really great tips, guidance for whether you're a teacher, a leader, a coach, or even just a parent of somebody involved in sport. Now, Simon's journey has really traveled the world in terms of being an entrepreneur, being involved with some really big names. He's also run a football coaching business and has worked with some of the biggest names in the world of sport. But his journey will give you something to listen for and to take away. So please sit back, have a listen. If you've got any comments, any feedback, or you'd like to find out a little bit more about the, the back catalogue of episodes, please have a look on the Sports Stories website, which is www.sportstories247.com. And always, please let me know any successes that you have or any challenges that you're still facing, and we can look to move on in, in, in Series 6 of the Sports Stories podcast with some more great guests and also with some more insights and uh, guidance for you, the listener. So all it leads me to say is a very warm welcome to Mr. Simon Clifford, who is the Director of Integer Football Coaching, but has also had a huge career working in sport as an entrepreneur, a business owner, and crucially brought Brazilian football to the UK and really made a difference to the whole football system. So sit back, enjoy, and please let me welcome Mr. Simon Clifford. Simon, it's fantastic to have you join me. And let me say on the... Uh, the 50th episode of the Sports Stories podcast, so it's quite a milestone for me, uh, and I'm delighted to have you with me, and somebody who I, I would term a friend, having got to know you more so over the last two or three years or so, so um, thanks for finding some really great time to, to spend with me today, um, and I'm really looking forward to going where we go. I'm not sure where we'll go, given that the, uh, the, the enormity and the breadth of your story and your career is, is fantastic. So. As a way of introduction, Simon, you know, would you just like to say a bit of a hello and just give our listeners a bit of a background as to, to who you are and maybe how you got into sport? Let's, let's start at an early age. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here and especially a privilege for the 50th. So thank you very much for having me. Yeah, sport's been a part of my life as long as I can remember. I grew up supporting Middlesbrough Football Club, as all of the family did. So my first memories of sport would be around Middlesbrough, uh, going to the match, the team winning, the town being happy as a result, very vivid um, memories, and then got into playing it, which I loved, and played football, and you know was was not too bad at it. Um, played football until I was 13, 14, when I was 
I also got into running a little bit and right. um, made a decision at that age to take the running more seriously. Sebastian Coe was in his pomp and um, yeah, I, I, I through getting a couple of books actually, one was by Coe and his dad, um, right. another one was a book by journalist David Miller on Seb Coe. I took the training for it quite seriously and um, over the next few years, ended up doing all right. I became Middlesbrough schools cross country champion, which was not too bad because when I first began, I, I I was 15th in the year at school out of 75, so not very good. Uh, it wasn't quite enough to get in the school cross country team. So reading these books and starting some serious training uh, changed really the approach I took to other things that followed because I realized something that I wasn't so good at um, with a bit of structure and a, and a plan. Um, I'd got good at it. Came where, to does, you. where does that come from, Sam? You know, the idea of, uh, if I'm not so good at something, um, you know, at such an early age, that if I put some effort and energy and get a plan, then I become better at it. How did, how did you come aware of that? Was that something within the family or your upbringing that was around that? Uh, I think it was, as I said, football had been my love. And in the primary school, I'd played a couple of years up. So I was maybe too good and perhaps it made me a little bit too cocky, which I suffered from well into my adult uh, days, such, a, such an approach. But maybe I, I became like that. And in secondary school, in year nine, um, I'd scored, scored a hat-trick in a game against Huntcliffe School from Saltburn, as we were just talking about Saltburn. I was scared to score another goal and I squared the ball and uh, another lad scored, Anthony Hayes. We went in 4-1 up and I got took off. And uh, I was constantly at odds with what the, the teacher at the time was telling me to do and what I was uh, doing myself. And I got fed up with football, to be honest with you. So that's how the running started. And that was my last game for nine years until I played for Tadcaster Albion Reserves against Eccles Hill, uh, aged about 20, 23. So I stopped playing football and I thought, I'm just, I didn't, you know, the guy was trying to knock whatever out of me and he was probably right to do it at the time. But I was too immature to realise that. And I thought, listen, I'm just going to take up something where it's reliant on the watch because I don't know whether I'm coming or going with this fella. He dropped me a couple of the games before that for no reason. Um what was the kind of knockout of you, do you think, then? Because, you know, th these sound like quite turbulent times or, you know, there's something about a team sport here, isn't there, into being an individual sport. And you mentioned there you're constantly at odds with the environment and what was going on. So what, what, was, what was going on? I, 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 I saw football at Middlesbrough. My hero had been a player called Terry Cochran. I used to right. run, at, run at players and take them on. Um, step overs and that type of thing. But he was effective as a Northern Ireland international. I liked the Brazil 82 team. And I loved football. I was obsessed with it. But I saw football as, as you know, I suppose running at people and taking them on. Um, that's how I played. And um, so uh, I was getting encouraged maybe to, to pass more and all that type of thing. And... Uh, which I should have done. But anyway, the top and bottom, I took up athletics. Wasn't very good at it at first, but had decided, right, I'm going to go for this. I don't know what came in my head, but uh, I thought I'm going to go for athletics. I'm not the fastest. I, was not, I wasn't too bad, but I thought distance running, I 
could maybe train at it. I'm not sure why I had that idea, but I got these two books from the library. And uh, I, we had a school uh, um, cross country and the first 15 got in. So I actually came 15th uh, to going to the next level, which was the red car. No, it, yeah, it was, no, it was for, yeah, to get in the red car championships, I think. Right, yeah. And I came 15th. Anyway, I think it was the same teacher. He didn't let me in. And he said, you are 15th, but so-and-so was off and he would have beat you. So I thought, all right, great. But I ploughed on the next year and carried on with it and got quite determined. And we actually had in our school the Cleveland School's cross-country champion. Uh, so he'd won the red car the year before, the land bar, the borough in the county, Mark Healy. Um, so a year later, I did the school's cross-country, which ran a different course. It was on like um, sort of a park. And it was five laps, and I actually lapped him on a five-lapper and won. And I thought, wow, he's the county champion, and that's all happened in a year from this training. So that was a fundamental... Um, I sometimes, it's only in the last few years, I look back yeah. and wish I'd carried on football at that age. However, had I never learnt the great lessons I did from, from that, which if I had a life lesson, the one that the, the running thing taught me, taught me about not having too much talent, applying some principles and work and, and the results that you can get was probably the key one of my life. And did you pick those principles up just through the reading of the books that you accessed and you found? I mean, was it completely self-driven and self-led? Um, I'm not sure. I suppose I was almost experimenting on myself with some of the training. And then a book I read, I think a year later in year 10, called Success in Sport and Life by a well-known Australian coach, Percy Wells Serity. He was the coach of Herb Elliott, who smashed the world record for the mile and, and won the Olympics, I think, in 1960. And he wrote a book called Success in Sport and Life, and that really became my Bible for the next, I suppose, 10 years of my life. I underlined every bit in it that, I, that meant something to me. And this guy, Serity, he sort of set out again with work that success in any endeavour could more or less be certain. So it was a bit... He talked about the Stoics and he actually had a philosophy for his athletes. He called them uh, Stortons, which was a cross between being a Spartan and not requiring much material in the world and being Stoic and appro approaching success and failure with that sort of mindset to not get too attached to either. So um, all of his stuff had, had an influence on me um, as well, yeah. And so reading that, picking that up, what, in your late teens, early 20s, would you say? Is yeah, really... I, know, so I got that, I think, about year 10, so I was about 15. Okay, yeah. wow. Wow. Had a on me. Yeah, and that, that's quite deep stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I was a bit, little bit of a... Um, yeah, I suppose I was always a little bit deep. I liked reading from a young age, and right. um, I found great sort of, I suppose, consolation in books, and I liked reading about other people and their lives and I lived in a very small place and right. the one thing that we did have that was we had a good library and so right. I was in and out of, of there but we didn't have a lot of distractions of for example if you had have wanted to take the football forward in in where I lived it wasn't you know you, you'd, you'd think it was not true today but there wasn't we didn't have any football teams right. other than the school one there wasn't anything people didn't run them uh, there was an adult team we were 15 miles from Whitby and 17 miles from Middlesbrough and a bit of a backwater. Wow. 
So what you paint a lovely picture there of you know you you growing up as a young lad hey and actually being quite average at sport but then really with your passion and your interest and your those kind of that um, desire really to just improve took things forward yeah 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 which I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the process of all of that yeah so where did you go from there then you know when, when you came into your early 20s you were you were running not doing much football at that stage yeah so I came to study in Leeds um I was running very seriously at the time okay. I was running about 80 90 miles a week and my ambition I suppose was to become you know to get to a, a national level in the distance running maybe at 10,000 something like that um I met Gillian in my first year, who's now my wife. And in falling in love, my training sort of dropped from maybe two or three times a day, which was how I trained then. If I wasn't running, I'd be doing weights or something else. Um, it dropped to maybe once a day and the edge went off, off all of that. But I did throw myself into my studies. Um, and again, applied the same principles that I did from what I'd learned in the running. I, I got a first in my degree, not because it was easy to me, it was hard, but I sort of, I knew that if you, you know, any of the bits that you found hard, if you worked at them, you can, you know, transform things. So uh, I was initially going to go, go on to do a PhD straight after graduating. I started some lecturing at Trinity Health Saints in, in Hosford and uh, Gillian preferred that I didn't do the PhD because she was a couple of years older and, thought it would be a while maybe till I was earning money so she was she did a PGC so I jumped onto that with her ended up becoming a teacher a bit by default um, following a teaching practice where they they offered me a job um, but in the school really rediscovered my first love of football and began taking teams at the school eights nines tens elevens and putting into practice some of the things I'd learned on the degree while at the school uh, Middlesbrough signed the Brazilian player Janinho. Um, I made contact with the club and didn't get in touch with him that way, but eventually did get in touch with him. And long story short, him and I became friends. And my interest as I was coaching the kids, eight, under eights, nines, tens, elevens, my interest very much became how can I best serve these kids today? And I think it was informed by my own experiences as a kid that I wanted, if I could, to encourage creativity and that type of thing. I'd love the Brazil 82 team. So him and I became firm friends really on the basis, I think, of a shared love of football. Although I'd been out of it for a bit, um, I loved it as much as the first day I ever saw it and sort of him coming back to Middlesbrough, watching him play, watching the way he moved. So I'd spend, I'd coach the kids in school, Holton Moor in, in Leeds, um, most evenings and then drive to his house and sit there till about 11 o'clock at night and we just talk football, talk sessions, how he learnt and um, beautiful time. That bit about sort of um, developing yourself but also developing others is really uh, a curiosity of mine here, Simon, because you know you talked about you know you on a journey and really being passionate about football and learning and stuff but but also then you know going down did you fall into teaching, coaching or do you think there is something about developing others that's really part of you? At the time, I did fall into it because I didn't, I didn't really realise that was part of me until I got there. Right. Uh, I was possibly 
thinking of a career in academia, if anything. Right, okay. I did the PGCE because Gillian was on it and it was <laughs> to be with her every day, I suppose. Second teaching practice, they offered me a job. Partly I thought, well, if I don't accept, if, if I, I, I did an interview and I thought, if I don't go to the interview, I'll probably fail my teaching practice. So I did it and then I got it and I thought, well, now what do I do? But I loved it. I loved being with the children. I loved the area that I taught in. Um, one of my earliest experiences from there was taking the kids to a football game and the other team from another part of Leeds shouting names because of the area that we were from. And that gave me a bit of a resolve to, right. to work hard for these children. And so in every respect, whether it was organising health weeks, bringing in people from the council, helping the parents to get the kids eating better and families, bringing in people from athletics. Mick Hill was a help, Leeds Rugby League, cricket. Um, I tried to really lift the sport in the school and thereby bring benefits to the kids, you know, in the wider sense and in a health sense. And I loved it. And um, I really loved it. So I did find my calling for sure. But I'm also really picking up, you know, there's, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about the idea you say, you know, I fell into a couple of these things, but actually also how much of it was you fell into it and also how much of it you actually drove, you know, because it sounds like you are quite purposeful in a lot of what you do, but actually you're also saying I kind of just sort of went with it because, you know, Gillian was there or whatever, you know, and actually you're quite a determined person underneath by the sounds of it. I suppose in doing something, yes. And so, example, you know, at the school, I'm only coaching under eight, year three, year four. Right. But I wanted to give them the best, best. teaching I could. I, you know, in whatever it was, if there was a way to read better, I wanted to know what it was to, to, to right. teach reading. Same in the football, I was not satisfied with just dishing up for them um, what everyone else had been doing or what everybody else said was worked or good. And I think, but a guy, that I nearly ended up working with. He offered me a job at Trinity and All Saints just as I graduated to, to lecture um, Andy Cooper, who wrote some great early stuff on using, using early stuff on skill and the use of games. And um, his stuff was really formative to me. And I sort of tried to take that into the coaching sessions I did. And I was looking for other countries that maybe had a philosophy similar to that, which there was some, you know, Holland for sure, but there wasn't really any coaching materials on Brazil. And then obviously Janino came fortuitously and all that mm. took off. And I pick up there, Sam, also about the idea that you were born and brought up in quite a small area. You know, you said there wasn't a lot going on and it gave you time to really focus on your reading and doing what you did. But yet, you know, in terms of becoming the best you can be, you know, there's something like a, a thread here coming out isn't there in terms of everything you wanted to do was to be the best at it whatever it is you're really bringing to life here for me the fact that you, you know you didn't just look locally you looked at everywhere and anywhere for help for sure I wanted the absolute best I mean long before meeting Janino I was um, yeah I was hunting here there and everywhere for anything that I thought would help those children in the uh, the school but when I met him and he exposed me to how they worked in Brazil I thought wow this is the first time I've seen evidence of footballers working in the same way as I worked as an athlete right, or okay. people in other sports. I mean, you know, boxers always, I admire because there's a, they're, the path is hard, the training is difficult, it tests and you're going to grow through that in, in more ways than one. And athletics was hard, football, um, I thought they could do a lot better at football if we 
maybe, although it was the professional game and athletics was the amateur, I thought if we professionalised football truly, not talking in a business sense, but in a, a work sense, maybe we could really get, get somewhere. So, so, yeah, being the best, too much. That was my attitude to sport for many years. It wouldn't be today. Um, I think that came again from reading. And one of the core books I read, uh, he'd mentioned, which stuck with me, that if he couldn't have found himself as the best in athletics or at 8 and 1500, he'd have found something else to be the best at. And that stuck with me. And so that philosophy has changed greatly in me over the years. But I did see, I loved all the lessons from sports. I looked right back to the Greeks and the reasons that we, you know, the reasons that we do it. The Greeks talk of this concept of the Renaissance man balancing the intellectual and the physical, the sporting. I liked all of that. But I also saw sport as, as winning. And I wanted to, I, I like working hard and winning. But uh, yeah, that, that changed as the year, years went on. And how did it serve you back then, do you think? And, wh and why would you not have that same or what's changed with your philosophy, would you say? Well, after meeting Janino, him and I um, say we used to talk every evening. I ended up fixing a trip up to Brazil. And I said to Janino and his dad, I'd like to meet, you know, I was a bit innocent at the time, so I'd like to meet Pele, Zico, Rivellino, Correca, some of my heroes. I want to meet the coach of Ronaldo. And Janino's dad's like, ah, Simon, these guys are very busy people. My son, <laughs> we were actually at the dinner table. So my son's the number 10 of Brazil, which he was at the time. He said he hasn't even met, met not any of them guys. But I persisted. I got a fax machine. I started faxing off to the Brazilian embassy to people. I don't know how I got the numbers, but people in Brazil. And eventually put this trip together, which actually Janino's dad, most of my efforts didn't work. And it was Janino's dad in the end that did get in touch with, not the players, but he got me in touch with some movers and shakers in Brazil. That When I got there, almost all of the people that I'd wanted to meet, I did and had an amazing six weeks there, five weeks, six weeks. BBC came and made a documentary on me, came back and I had Glenn Hoddle trying to get in touch with me. He was England manager at the time. He'd seen clips of me on BBC Breakfast News before I'd returned home. He sent John Gorman's assistant to meet me and they said, look, this stuff you're doing is amazing we when we ran Swindon Football Club we changed the away kit to Brazil hoping it'd make the players play like them we didn't actually know how to do it but that's how innocent it was then and that's how little information uh, we had on training there. I mean the world has changed so much in the last 30 years but it was uh, yeah when I went out to Brazil in a way it made me a little bit angry I don't get angry today but at the time it made me a little bit angry in that I saw the detail and the the work ethic of the players there it wasn't what i'd been led to believe people playing on the beach and i then looked at english football and i looked at the experience janino was telling me he was having in training here and, and through him and other players got to know a bit more about the professional clubs and i thought you know we are really making a mess of it and i came back from that trip and thought okay I, I need to bring this to the whole of England. It wasn't just the technical, it was every aspect. It was the attention to detail, the work, the sports science. Code had intrigued me at the beginning. He was an early user of sports science and building up a team around him. He had George Gandhi, the other guy who's the head of bases at the minute. I can't think of his name in his team. And da -da 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 -da. 
Um, so that's your multidisciplinary team, isn't it? I guess. That's... Yeah, which he, he co-built early, but I saw that in Brazil on the yeah. nutrition, on the psychology. It was just really? oh. Brazil had better psychology than we had up to about 2014 World Cup in 1958. And why did they have it so good? What 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 helped them be ahead of the game? Do you think military dictatorship had helped in that soft power, like when the Russians did? Right. Brazil put enormous resource towards the betterment and improvement of their national team and football. Right. So I didn't realise that at the time until later on when I sort of looked back at the whole history. But example, 70 World Cup, they shut down the league for three months just so the national team can train. But it was it was the funding of it, really, that came from right. the from successive governments right up until the end of the um, the military dictatorship, which was sort of the Socrates time in, in 80, 82 to 86. But so that Brazilian football was a lot based on that as well as the play and the creativity, yeah. But them two things merged together, the sports science was was a, a pretty good mix. What a fabulous experience. And Sam, bringing it back to you, you know, what did you learn about yourself at that stage of your career and your life? You know, going out there and doing something like that. Can you, you know, can you pull out anything? What really resonated and did you find out about you through that? Well, when I began on that journey, I wasn't too bad as a, as a person in many ways, you know, I was, you know, I was, uh, I was a school teacher who was going out there to learn. As I say, I came back very much a man on a mission. Um, I set these schools up, first one in Leeds, then we go across the country, Lego come in and sponsor it for a million pounds, which was a big thing, obviously. Um, in a couple of years, then we're international and eventually we're on every continent. So what did I learn? Um, I'll tell you one thing I learned when I was in Brazil on that first trip, Steve Sean, who was the producer of the BBC documentary, he said to me with Gillian, my wife, um, one day, he said, look, I see what you're doing here. I see the way you are with the people, the way you've got this guy on side now and that. He said, you know, you could come home and, you know, you could make this, if you did a business with them, you could make it massive. And I said, uh, yeah, I said, that, that, that's been in my own head for quite a, you know, I see what you're saying. I said, uh, and in theory, I probably could. I said, but I think it would be um, doing anything like that would be detrimental to my own character and my own whatever. I said, I'm quite happy with a, a class of kids that I'm teaching, which I was. Yeah. And okay. That, that conversation, and he said, well, you know, if, if you wanted to do good on something in the world, you could influence a lot more than the whole class of kids if you did do this. I think that conversation that day probably was the thing that set me with his, my wife there, sort of backing Steve up a bit, probably swung me towards doing it. However, in the years that followed, everything went, you know, lovely business-wise, but the cost to me was considerable, mm. uh, all through my own faults, but your character changes, your ego gets in the way. You talked about winning before, and or I did, and you know that being an important part of sport to me, or a, the main part even in everything I had to do, I had to win. The soccer schools I wanted once they started to be the biggest and the best. We wanted to dominate here, we had to dominate there, we had to. And it was never enough, really. And all of that stuff slowly, um, slowly brought me down. Um, and I think I was a very, I was a very aware of it probably even before it started and for all the money you can get or all the 
this and that, none of it is actually any good if you're not happy with yourself. And so, yeah, it's such lessons from that whole thing. I mean, I ended up starting a preschool program as well called Soccer Tots, which again ended up international. I bought a football club in the middle of it because, um, again, we don't exist in a vacuum, but before YouTube and the sharing of information, I kind of thought the way we were training and working at the time in the soccer schools was that different. The emphasis on the physical was that markedly different to anything else I saw. I thought if we even took this to a senior team, we could have some real good results. But of course, you don't exist in a vacuum and people then share information and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, bought the football club as well. But then Sir Clive Woodward approached me and he um, asked me to come as his sort of partner to Southampton Football Club, which had I known that, I wouldn't have probably wouldn't have bought the football club that I just bought. So yeah, I ended up going on a little sort of mini adventure with him there. Wow. There's so much going on here, isn't there? Or was going on, it seemed. It sounds such a busy, but um, why were you doing all this? What was your what was your why, do you think, underneath all of this? Um, my why wasn't a he- I don't think my why was a very healthy one. My why was um, possibly going back to the books I'd read, going back to yeah. that early reading, it was to show I could achieve and do something, right. which achievement isn't that, as I found when I got there. Right. Um, yeah, so I think it was it was that for sure. It was to, I mean, 100%. I came back wanting to change English football. Yeah. Uh, innocent though that was for a school teacher, but I had a good go at it. And do you uh, think you did? I contributed. You know, oh, gosh, gosh, you did, I think. You know, I rattled a few cages. But, um, yeah, for sure I wanted to do that. But I think if you're asking me truthfully on my why, you're also you're trying to, to, I suppose, going back to that core thing, if I'd have found it, I was trying to have an impact in something, I suppose, which isn't a healthy... Um, and if you're feeling like that, there's got to be something missing yourself. So, um, yeah. But it's, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm fast forwarding a little bit to, you know, sitting here today and thinking, you know, the Brazilian s- stuff that you brought back, you know, and I, uh, and I use the word in its broadest sense there, because, you know, you brought not just um, the the more the detailed approaches and the work ethic. And, uh, you know, there's so much that comes with that Brazilian kind of uh, badge, doesn't there, that you, you must have brought. And, you know, I look through sports today and look where it's at today it just gives me a real sense that you were probably just you were before the time you know and and therefore have massively contributed to it yeah i mean but in truth nowadays whether i have or haven't wouldn't make any difference to me right (laughs) whatever um yeah it was all of the time and of the time where i was at in my life and uh but yeah so we move forward here, you know, that sounds like it was a, a difficult time, actually, you know, there's, there's so many, many, it sounds to me in the story, you know, lots of people looking in from the outside would think, actually, there's so many highs, highs within that story. But yet, I get a real sense, you know, there was a lot of, lot of lows, actually, for you. Um, I think, I t- you know, in a, in a way, I took on the establishment of football, and I'd, okay. for a few years, you know, big 
ding dongs, if you like, is a phrase I used to would have used with the FA and things yeah. like that. And you know, I used to I fronted it all right, but in in a way, it did have all of that had an effect had an, an effect on me. And I think Southampton, you know, when I came away from working there, Harry Redknapp and I went at it a bit in the press afterwards, and so all of that stuff. Um, all of that stuff takes its toll. And so there was highs, got a couple of promotions quickly with Garford, which uh, was was joyous, particularly the first one, working with certain players, wonderful. Um, but all of those things, I mean, whether they're highs or not, they're just achievements. They're not, um, I would laugh at, at all of it, to be honest with you now. it's. Um, but at the time, obviously that's what I was, I was geared up for or doing. Yeah. And so where did that all start unraveling for you, Simon? You know, what, what learning did you take for that? What was happening for you and your, your story, as it were? I think uh, towards the end of the 2000s, uh, my mental health was deteriorating. Right. I was answering phones to every continent 24 hours a day in Australia. You know, we were on every continent. And I suppose being a bit of a micromanager, uh, was involved in every decision or whatever that we took everywhere. So all of that built up. The things that I actually enjoyed doing in the beginning, I suppose the coaching I'd stopped doing um, as the business and other things grew. You know, I'd wrote a few books, I'd worked on consulting on movies and working with various players doing this, that and the other. There was just, it gone off in all different tangents and um, it was all, it was all too much for me to be honest with you. I think the um, the scope of it and the level you're dealing with sponsors and dealing with, um, and for sure I'd stopped enjoying it a long time before. Right. I started drinking too much to self-medicate or cope with it. And then it was a long spiral down really. And um, in about 2012, it was 2012, um, I was at my lowest ebb and um, I sold everything to Rupert Lloyd, being the chairman at Southampton. Um, my family life wasn't good at the time. My health was as low as you could imagine. And um, so, yeah, I was, I was in a position where I was, um, I just wanted, uh, yeah, I was just not in a good, I was just not in a good spot. Um, and didn't know, I, I, health-wise, I didn't know if I'd even, live that much longer so i think in uh, i was yeah i was not in a good space <laughs> but then began to sort of move on from that didn't you and, and start coming back i guess from the yeah the i wouldn't selling, have really you no know, in, in a sane mind i wouldn't have really wanted to sell it all and everything like that um but at the time i didn't think i would i didn't think i'd be living that much longer and uh i wasn't in a rational state of mind for quite a while um but hey ho but in, in recovery in the time after uh, I started to get myself to back together mental health wise by the grace of God and um, had a, about a year and a half where I didn't work and suppose right. in that time took stock, took stock of everything um, where I'd been, what my priorities were um, and in that time I suppose every, almost all in my thinking changed and uh, from the worst time of your life, as a, you know, in, as in many cases, maybe comes the best. 
And how did, how did you do that? You know, that taking stock and bringing yourself back out, you know, it, because, you know, I'm just conscious of many people listening in who are going through hard times in their, in their life, whether it's be in sport, out sport, through sport, you know, these are common kind of situations. And I know you're different to everybody else, but what kind of approaches and strategies did you take to help you move through? I suppose taking help and listening to other people, which I hadn't been particularly good at before. I think the more I, I got successful in certain things, the less I listened. Right. And ego very much became my enemy. And I suppose 2012, 13, I was totally at ground zero. And so there's nothing to do but listen to people because um, whatever you've had as your way of thinking hasn't worked. And um, so I suppose getting a mentor in in certain areas and doing work uh, around developing yourself and rebuilding yourself. But um, my dad would say, you know, you were at ground zero then, and I was. And um, I almost saw anything that I'd done or thought before as more or less useless. Um, and, and took responsibility that my own thinking and actions had got me to the position and state I was in, which was important. And so my initial feelings were just uh, to live, really, and to see if I could get my mental health back together and to work on that, because without it, everything else was pointless. So to that, then my family, life, and the work stuff returned very slowly okay. after that and isn't even a priority today, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I watched that like eight years ago, something like that. And I've had the happiest and best eight years of my life in every respect. And I, th I suppose, only in my own case, the journey I went on to where I've got today was was was, was necessary um, to, I suppose, come out this way as I have. And thanks be to God for that. And, you know, my faith was a big thing. I'm a spiritual person and I don't think I could have solved any of these problems well I couldn't have without the grace of God so uh, I thank him for it every day. Looking back then Simon you know what what were some of the highlights then that you would pick up on out, out of your whole journey it more recently or you know looking back over your your career to date you know you you've been on quite some journey and, and you know I, I speak to lots of people who have been through highs and lows and sometimes they do say you know that some of the low parts has given them the highs if that makes sense or it's helped them you know and I don't want to put that on you in any way but I'm just wondering you know I'd like us to start focusing on the way forward here and also what what are some of the things that you've been most proud of in your career? Highs I beat Zebco when I was just before I packed in in Leeds bit of a long story to uh, that particular occasion and he was just on the way down after the Commonwealth Games and near to retiring. But he, as he'd been my hero, that was uh, something, over a thousand metres. Um, well, it relates to sport, but I think pushing myself and there was times in my degree when I got the most appalling marks. Right. Um, and I would, but I was doing my best at times, but I suppose doing well in my degree, again, putting in the work, it was obviously a sport degree. I was, that was a high moment. Um, taking kids from Leeds, the first kids that I coached in the in the school, I took 53, 53 of them and their parents out to Brazil 
on a trip in 1998. Oh. I wanted them to experience what I had. I'm not sure looking back how I, you know, had the guts to do it or how we how we did it. But yeah, that was one fantastic from Holton Moor and Gipton area in the main. Um, I suppose you know lots of happy moments. Um, winning football matches is good. It's intoxicating and seeing players that you've worked with play well and grow. But I think the highs today, if they are highs, and I, I would, you know. I don't know if I'd describe them as that, but the satisfaction today, I think, comes from um, not getting too excited because you taught me, Dave, and you're right, that you know the impact we have as coaches on anybody is actually quite minimal. And we are part of a, I can't remember the way word you used to describe it, but we're part of a, like a chain of, you know. Chain of events nearly, isn't it? Or a big ecosystem, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, you had a great phrase for how we all put, play this role with with any athlete or anyone the we coaching coach. chain kind of idea coaching yeah. chain but i think you know little things that you get from that um can you know can make you happy and um i love i do love the the, the big thing i enjoy today is continuing to work on myself my own learning and study and helping other people encouraging them with their learning whether that's football or something else and you know sometimes seeing them change as a result and thinking well you know I've maybe had a little bit nudging that in that direction that's worth its weight in gold to be able to to do that but I do pray on a morning and ask not to get too excited about anything and I used to spend my life either up here with things going well or if they weren't going well I was I've been pretty much in the middle of the last seven eight years and long may it continue and I I prefer to live here like this. Rather than at the extremes. You keep oh, no, kind of... anything, anything to do with either of them. Um, yeah. I had a couple of opportunities to work in clubs again. Not at a big level, but, you know, the lower leagues. Um, and I wouldn't... I, th I thought about one of them, which... Um, but, I, again, I don't want to... All that sort of... The highs and lows of winning I, I, doesn't appeal to me. Like, in the, the match sense. What, what's your view of where the sporting landscape is at then, Simon? Given, given the journey you've been on and where we're at now culturally around, you know, winning and success and the trappings that go around it, you know, because even, even since the times when you started off with the Brazilian stuff and brought, you know, De Nino was over here doing everything, you know, even the sport world's changed from then. Wow. Yeah. So what, what's your view now? I think, it, if possible... Uh, if we can, and it's harder for the younger people because they haven't seen it, but we need to remember what the game, what, well, if you take football, what it is. Um, and it's, I suppose, my personal philosophy. I think football's a game for fun, like most sports, and to enjoy it isn't. And to, and to win as part of that, but, um, you know, football has its roots in this country in working class communities and the men coming out of church halls and sort of working men's clubs and things like that. And I think young children can lose, well, obviously don't know about any of that. And so the business side of it is, in some ways, some of it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of good come from it. We've, we've had wonderful academies built and things like that. But um, we can lose the essence, I think, of the sport itself and of the history and traditions of the sport. And that's maybe why you got some of this reaction to the, Super League stuff. And I think in that point, one 
thing I'm quite keen to do, even if I got to do it a bit later in my life, should I, should I live that long, would be to get maybe working class communities or people in them to engage with them a li little bit more if there was something small I could do in that area because I think we're pulling the game more and more away from those communities. The facilities that get built don't tend to be there. The academies that the clubs have are out of town. I mean, when I started helping kids uh, in Holt Moor Estate in Leeds, who were in, it's then called the Centre of Excellence. But even then I had to give them a lift to, uh, to train at the, you know, this trained obviously in the, what's now the car park. The academy was down there at Ellen Road. But they wouldn't have had the bus fare to get there. And they certainly wouldn't have had cars. Um, and, you know, I, I sometimes think, Holt Moor Estate, where I taught at one point, I think in the 60s, there was five players who'd come from that estate and played for Leeds. I don't think there'd have been any in the last 20 years at all. And I think a lot of those communities are a little bit disenfranchised. And I have an amazing experience at the minute working with wonderful people in Harrogate and in Leeds, young people. And it's been the time of my life working with them all. Um, but I am mindful for later in my life, I think, to just see if there's anything I could do towards engaging with some of those children in areas that, that, have, not, that have not got as much uh, provision and, and people aren't maybe a accessing them. Mm. Yeah. The, 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 there's something about the teacher in you here, isn't there? Or the coach, the developer of others seems to really be sort of boiling to the top, as it were. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a, a pupil myself. You are one of my mentors, Dave, and I've got a few like that in my life. And I think the learning experience I love, whether I'm learning myself, yeah. or whether I'm able to, to pass on, it's, um, yeah, I, it's, I couldn't even put into words, I think, the, the pleasure to get from that. The passion for football was, was back maybe after a year right. and a half or so after stopping. And initially, I, I think I, I blamed football for some of my problems, or this has happened and that's happened. And if not, if I'd have not started those schools, or my problems were all of my own making. And football's, you know, it is, as Pelly said, I think it is the beautiful game. And um, yeah. So if I went back and had to tell, had to, you know, give myself advice as a young man coming into sport. It would be, to, it would be to stick in sport. At times, after my experience in Southampton, I think after I'd built those schools to where they got a little bit, as well as, you know, going downhill mentally and all the rest of it. A little bit, I was bored as well, and I think I started to think to myself, well, you know, this is just football. I'd like to get into working in other areas, maybe politics or helping people in this and that. There's enough in sport to stick with for a, a lifetime and it can bring you so many great relationships with people and you know almost every life lesson you can get out of sport so i'd yeah sport's amazing well and you, and you play to the kind of the principle of sports stories in the podcast and the you know the direction we're going here as, as you well know in terms of actually it's it's sports such a powerful vehicle isn't it, it it's uh, the story or the metaphor or the principles can not are not just relevant are they in sport it seems and you know I'm, I'm just hearing that kind of fallout of your story here where maybe it was all about you know success early days but I think this is so much more about actually the the benefit and the the greater principles and life lessons, you know, and I'm just hearing, you know, we're developing people here now, aren't we? Not just young footballers by the sound of it. That's right. And the whole process. And, and, and so going back to the winning thing, you know, 
my early days, I wanted to win and to sort of, in winning, beat other people. Um, I don't see it as that now. I, I think even in, you know, making suggestions to young players, enjoy the journey wherever that takes you. Right. Maximise all that you can yourself. Look at where this journey can help you, as it did with me, teaching me lessons for other things. But pick up all these lessons. Take the harder route. Don't cut corners. Take the longer route because you'll learn more. Embrace all the failures and because they're not really that, are they? No. So it's that. I mean, wherever we're all heading, whatever our ambitions, our goals are, whether we get there or not, is obviously completely immaterial um, when you look at it. It is the, the journey and the process every day. Uh, and, you know, that, I think, links to happiness and to fulfilment and to just making the best that you can of yourself. And if that makes you, you know, win something, then great, because it might. But there's, you know, so many factors involved in in success. It, it may not also, but see that you're learning plenty that can help you in your life as well. And the word that comes to my mind, it's linked back to a previous podcast guest I had on, uh, Kath Bishop, who wrote a book called The Long Win. And, you know, there are different measures of winning, I guess, aren't there? It depends on how you term them. Yeah. Um, you, said, you said to me yourself a couple of years ago, success, you've been successful now, which I've, I've got to realise and am and feel it. But success to me previously used to be you, to achieve that, you have to win this or you have to. And uh, I'm at the other end of that, the spectrum to that yeah. today. And um, but yeah, the long, however long this life takes us to just keep learning. I would say that to anybody, keep learning. Learning is just wonderful and amazing. And even if you, even if you're in your own little space, doing it and it does, i don't know there's nobody to mentor you or teach you and we've got such a th one thing now with the internet and youtube anybody can learn you know i i've been out in africa with kids we had in the soccer school there most of them a lot, lot of them have got phones even in the poor townships and um but learning is just yeah i think learning's it for me anyway learning's really linked to happiness i think if you stop learning you're in for, for lots of reasons you're in trouble but i think one of them is you you will you'll not enjoy the day as much mm. You, you picked upon a question that I was going to ask you, actually, in terms of that advice to maybe a younger version or somebody coming through, which, you know, which you, you've kind of articulated there. I also see you, though, as that, you know, somebody that's not just been a coach and a developer of other people, but as a, an entrepreneur, you know, somebody that picked up an idea and has really driven it forward. And, you know, many of the listeners to the podcast are also, you know, either small business owners or entrepreneurs or leaders. And uh, what sort of guidance or tips or would you say anything to those kind of people for them in their part of their journey based on your story? Yeah, it's only my experience because that's all I've got. But I didn't, although I became an entrepreneur, I didn't intend to be, again, I didn't intend to be in that. Once I'd come back from Brazil and decided, okay, I will do this. It was, how can I get this coaching across the country? How can I get people working hard, working this way, more focus on the ball, more creative, creative, more imaginative. And it was suggested to me to do a franchise with that. And which I suppose I'd heard of the word. I didn't really know what one was. So that led me into that. And I suppose being a businessman and, and obviously in some, you know, in the businesses, I was quite successful. Um, but I was, I was passionate, I suppose. Mm. Uh, Walt Disney um, himself, who, who 
for business tips, I used to sometimes look at old biographies of him because oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, he would say, you know, I think, you know, don't, don't, whatever you're doing, don't do it for money. I suppose if you're going to make a business and have to learn a livelihood, make sure it's it's what you love and it's what you're passionate about. And so that's what I did with those. Yeah, mm. and that came as a the business success came as a as a result of that. Uh, and the proof is in the pudding, isn't there? Something about if I follow my purpose and my passion there then actually it'll drive through you know you have to watch other things it's not just as simple as that by the sound of it but it's it was a a, a guiding light for you yeah and the others well for me anyway the other stuff I learned as I went you know if I had my time again I would get mentors around me business-wise and various people to try and keep me in check or in good order and all the rest of it but um yeah, I, I learned the business stuff really as I went. Um, and if I'd have had, I mean, there's was, was one or two people tried. If I'd have had people there trying to help me and talk to me, I probably I possibly wouldn't have listened. But if, if I give a tip, it would be to, to get, in whatever you're doing, get. I, I didn't at one point used to value experience enough, especially when I was younger, but get all the more experienced people around you um, that you can listen to, particularly people who don't say what you want them to mm. say and that challenge you. Um, so, yeah, it's a big thing for, for me today, that. Well, I'm going to pick up on your um, your desire to help people. You know, it's thread through this, I think, because, you know, you've, you've really shared, um, you know, obviously in many highs and lows, and I can really hear it in your story. Um, but for me, there is something that's really falling out here is your desire to to benefit others both yourself and others you know and you mentioned there quite solidly about learning um a quick few quick fire questions yeah to help other people what books then or resources you've mentioned a few books already and you're clearly a well-read person that really values that and enjoys that are there two or three books that you would recommend to to the listeners that would say actually this might really help you on your journey or or have a look at this because it's interesting yeah uh, one of them would be the seven habits. Okay, he wrote the seven habits of, of highly effective people, Stephen Covey, but yeah. which I've read. But I actually like the family one. If you've got a family, it's it's the same principles. But lovely, you know, if you're living in a family, it's important to to work to improve that. So seven habits of highly effective families. Um, I think the laws of success, which is a book maybe from the 1930s. It's quite a. It's maybe 900 pages by a guy called Napoleon Hill um, and another one I would have said that as a third book I would have said the Percy I think the Percy Wellserity success in sport and life which I've mentioned only because yeah it's part philosophy part it's obviously a very ambitious title success in sport and life yeah but uh it's part coaching part philosophy and um yeah, I would, I would recommend. In fact, you know what? For years, you couldn't get it. I've still got the, the first copy I had, but that has actually been reprinted. So maybe those three. And, uh, do you know what? And that book, for me, just in the way that you've talked about it, I think probably is more, more relevant now than ever, actually, just because of the philosophical approach. And I think us really understanding our purpose and now why are we doing what we're doing and being such a driving force and understanding the philosophy behind why we do what we do is really important, I think, more so than ever now. Yeah, there was a lot of why in that book. Um, yeah, so maybe those three. Lovely. Ah, the Bible as well. 
I should have said that first. For sure. Yeah. So, Brilliant uh, stuff. Moving on, you've also given me a, a real great sense of being purposeful in what you do, you know, and you talked a little bit around actually the principles you brought back from Brazil is around sort of work ethic and also attention to detail really and planning. How do you on a kind of a daily basis prepare yourself to perform at your best, both sort of physically and mentally? Well, I, I possibly over prepare. I do prepare at times in my life. I lost this. I lost this habit. Um, I remember before going to university to do my degree, I wrote an exercise book with about 20, 30 pages of how I thought I should be at university. About a week in, I'd lost or threw away and didn't take any notice of, and I should have. So the, la the latter part of my life, I've rediscovered a lot of that, that stuff in a positive way. So I meditate each day, I pray, and thank God for, for all the, that I'm alive and the many things that I have. I do take one day at a time. But I meditate and try to as well listen. And so many insights and thoughts and ideas, I think, come to you in meditation. It's been one of the best practices of my life, linked to journaling, which I've journaled. Used to journal in my teens in the running days, brief stuff, but journal more deeply the last seven, eight years as well. And when you say journaling, Simon, what do you, what do you mean by that for those that are listening in? Because I... I I think I understand it, but can you give us a brief description? Yeah, of mine is, uh, I review the day, the basics, look at what went well, yeah. look at what didn't, how I'd changed what didn't, that which I'm grateful for. Okay. I look ahead to the next day, but also look at my emotional conduct. Have I been angry, selfish, some of those sort of things? Um, because I think... It seems to me anyway, who did have, you know, a time I struggled with my mental health in the 2000s. Some of those little things, if you can get them every day, like resent, resentment, things like that, if you can, you know, get a handle on them when they're in the, the small, I think it doesn't become a big problem. So I've tried not to have too many of those emotions. So look at all of that every day and then how I've been with other people. Have I given my best to them? And so my journals... Mm quite detailed, but it's on, on that sort of stuff. And I do it every day. In addition to that, working on yourself is, you know, you said how, how do I prepare? So that would be how I prepare for each day. But I do, there's a great quote from Jim Rowan. Um, I don't know if you would call him a motivational speaker, but yeah. which I liked, which was spend more time working on yourself, which I do, than you do working, which I, I try to live by that. A nice quote there, but also, you know, your approach, whether it works for other people, but there's versions of that, isn't there? But the, the principles of actually noticing what's going on for you, both past and, and future, is actually really important and actually is really helpful. Yeah, I spend a lot of my time writing, even if it's not in the formal journal process, whether I, you know, it could be to do with nutrition, it could be something I've just spotted, and I think I can take that into the, the training. I, I keep these books where I, I tend to write everything down and sorry the other way I prepare is I do do a plan for the day which you know we've got 24 hours in a day if you can spend 15 minutes of it planning it's not too much it's a hundredth of the day isn't it but I find the day goes a lot better with that while also allowing for the you know the gray which you taught me not to be too black and white that um you know things can change and and all the rest of it but I find a plan a big help yeah 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 in fact you know what I heard a quote from um it was actually, I think, in 
from that Napoleon Hill who wrote The Lords of Success. And I think he quoted a guy called Albert Hubbard. Yeah. No, sorry, that was a self-discipline quote. I'll give you a quote on self-discipline anyway, which I like. Go on, I like it. Yeah, go for it. Self-discipline is the ability to make yourself do what you should do, when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not, which is a nice quote for self-discipline. Yeah. The ability to make yourself do what you should do, when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not. And I have linked to that something I got, I think, from Napoleon Hill, who cites this guy who once, years and years ago, met James Pierpont, Pierpoint Morgan, J.P. Morgan, the, the founder yeah. of that banking dynasty. Yeah. And he said to J.P. Morgan, I, I, the, the other guy must have been a rich guy, and he said to him, I'd do anything to, if you told me how you've been successful or you spent time with me or this, this and this. And he said, I could give it to you. I don't know if the story is true, but I think it was along the lines. He made this other rich guy pay or put forward $25,000 right. to be taught this way. And in the end, it was just a piece of paper that he gave him. Right. I think the guy gave the $25,000 to charity, but the paper, we opened it up. It had two things. It said the secret to success. One, make a list each day of the things that must be done. Number two, do the things on that list. I think there's something in that as well. There's a simplicity in there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Very simple, but they've helped me. Yeah, no, well, I, but I think there's a there's also a real depth, isn't there, to to those what's on that list, and also what it what it brings to us to to do them. Meditating, yeah. thinking yeah. that list through. Yeah, does that list align with your values, with your goals, where you want yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. But it's if you can get to the end of each day and you've done the things on that list, it's. Yeah. A pretty good day and over time yeah the difference in where that can take you well amazing amazing um i've got two more quick questions you've you've also mentioned a number of people along your story who you know have come in and out and have been uh, impactful but you know who would you say are the one or two or possibly three people that have been around at really pivotal points in your journey yeah my dad he introduced me to sport to Middlesbrough, to the football. He took me, uh, when I got the interest in the running, he began a running club in Loftus, oh, wow. which is still there. They've had international athletes and he founded that with another wonderful guy called Peter Corvey. But my dad still trains, my dad's 73. He's got a resting heart rate of 42. <laughs> He's on the, he runs, takes a spinning class. And so, I think an example for sport and what I haven't always followed, my dad's kept doing it all his life and um, he's possibly fitter now in his 70s than he, than he, maybe than he's ever been. He ran marathons and that, but um, I don't know what he's doing a week, but it's into the two or 300 kilometers of spinning. Wow. Well, I just, the love of sport. Um, so my dad, I think Clive Woodward in working with him, yeah. like that first team core set up around him, the team behind the team. Uh, I haven't met anybody brain-wise, I don't think, like Clive in sport. It's a shame. Maybe it's not a shame because he's... I, I don't know. I, I think he would still like to get to, to do football, but he would have He would have really done something in football. He was way, way, way ahead of his time in many of his thoughts. I think a lot of the stuff we see even coming out from other people, latterly, you know, Dave Railsford and some of his stuff, I think a lot of that had its genesis in, in Clive and what he did with the rugby book far beyond that, Clive. And the other one, Janino, that um, would say to me, 
very early on, he said to me, don't try and make footballers. It's not worth it. It's not, you know, try to make, try to help make good people. Um, which he heard me talking to a journalist, I think from the Telegraph uh, in about 96, Janino, and I said, yeah, we're going to make good footballers. And Junior said to me, no, it was Gareth Davies now, was a famous boxing correspondent. It was, I was talking to Gareth and Janino says, no, don't do that. Try to make good people. And then the football will follow if you do that. So that was... That was before its time, that, wasn't it? Very, I once said to him, I said to him in about 2011, so what's that, 15 years later? I said, why did you ever say that to me when you were like 22? And he says, uh, you know, he, he gave me a sort of spiritual reason for the answer, but he was also around good people himself, like Telly Santana, the great coach of the 82 and 86 team. Um, and linked to that team, you've only asked me for free, but Socrates no, no, that's had, good. had a good influence on me too, seeing football as it, as it, as it is for an art form as much as a as you know as the result um, are you still in contact with any of those guys do you still with all yeah i think which ones are on there my dad i'm still in contact with yeah yeah sorry yeah <laughs> still around janino yes uh you know birthdays and things like that yeah and i saw clive the other christmas and had a lovely chat with him in london yeah um but also still learning from them i guess and and them learning from you yeah i don't say that see them them, them guys that enough to say that you know yeah. um i think from what i picked up from clive i'd always be learning from him even without seeing him and with janino similarly i mean if there's one or two things i've i don't go to brazil anymore but if for sure if i did i'll i'll be catching up with him he's now got a big he's now uh, uh involved with the national team he's the sort of a bit like the assistant manager to uh there it's called the technical coordinator but um yeah learn off learning off any I'll learn off anyone that i can anyone and everyone <laughs> anyone and everyone definitely good stuff and probably and it is my last question you know i feel really humbled to have been part of your story and, and hearing it here today as well you know and I, and i know that you've been in some really low times but also you know you for me anyway have made an amazing difference uh, and really try to follow your passion to maybe to your detriment at times but also you've made a massive difference to the world of football you know because at times we need people to come and challenge it so you know I, I feel blessed actually to be able to sit here and share this conversation with you I, I also wonder though you know you as a learner who might you be curious to learn from who whose sports story could we try and pick up on or do you think would be a real um, excitement and interest to you it's a good question because there's I thought this question might may come and the I suppose the difficulty is because I read that much. Yeah. Um majority of the people I just I I've probably yeah, it's a difficult question. Well uh, let me let me ask <laughs> it differently then. Who do you think our listeners would really love to hear? I think Clive Woodward. Right. Percent. Clive Woodward. Yeah, I never met anybody like him in sport. In fact, if I told you the truth, uh, when he first wrote to me to meet me back in 2004, I didn't want to meet him because I was that much full of my own ego, that much in a hurry. I didn't think I had time to spend two guys with. And he'd won the Rugby World Cup 
the year before, but I'd read his book and made notes in his book, and but I wasn't, um, I didn't really think I'd have time to meet him. And he, he wrote to me a couple more times and eventually came up to Leeds. The first night I sat with him, I was, I thought, wow, these are the best conversations I've had in sport in my life. And then getting working with him, we did nine months preparing for working at Southampton together beforehand. But I think all of that, so Clive, uh, yeah, I never met anybody like him. I've met some, re you know, some, I've met, you know, I don't know if there's a few, but of England managers, I'm trying to think if there's a few England managers, probably there's not a few, but I've, worked, I've worked, met some of the biggest people in football, certainly, and wow, yeah, I think Clive. I did say that was going to be my last question, but I'm just drawn to this one. You've mentioned it a few times and it's still with me. For me on your journey here, you've talked about your ego quite a lot and how it got in your way and how it's really kind of you're trying to get out of its way at the moment. And I'm just wondering, how do how did you do that? Because that's some, such a big thing for so many people is their ego. And I'm, I'm, I'm recalling the book, the you know, Ego is the Enemy as well. And you use that term. And I'm just thinking that would be such a helpful tip or insight yeah well that actual book ryan holiday wrote it i think he has the tattoo on his on his arm i'm not into tattoos yeah <laughs> so i wouldn't do that so it, for me it's just working on yourself Is it right? yeah. continually and self-awareness and reflection and taking counsel of people around you as to how you're doing and how you're behaving having a mentor that challenges you and is willing to i suppose at times almost fall out with you or yeah. I think it's all of that, those, those sort of checks. And yeah. you've been an enormous help to me, uh, Dave, because I think when I began the sessions with you, I it took me a long time to digest some of the things that you've said and I processed them. And then they've okay, become a big, big part of my life too. So I think it's like the Jim Rowan quote, it's the work on yourself. And asking, I pray actually not to be too carried away by anything, you know, whether whatever happens today is not that important, if it's to the good or the bad. And, you know, back to the Percy Wellserity days and my reading at 15, I should have took more notice of the stoicism than I, than I did in my, my early days. So, yeah, keep him working on that. Well, Simon, look, we've, we've given out so many gems in terms of, you know, quotes and books and philosophies and insights you know and i think your your thread of giving your journey and your story and your you know your vulnerability actually to that i think is a, a real credit to you so thank you so much for for taking the time and spending it you know it's it's been a real privilege to me um you know i, I must say this i feel really privileged to be part of your journey and support you along the way you know and i think it's something for me i need to say here is that actually as a as a coach as a mentor you know, it, it, there's there's values both ways, isn't there? You know, in some ways. And I think as a coach of footballers and people, you get so much back in return. And the work that we've done together over the years, I've also learned a lot and got a lot from it, you know, and I think that's the value of this kind of relationship. Uh, but, you know, thank you today for sharing your journey. Thank you for giving us your insights. Um, should people be interested in finding out a little bit more about, you know, what you're doing? You know, I know you're running a, a football program at the moment, um, which is developing not just footballers, but people. You know, how might they find out a little bit more about your story or what you're doing going forward? Yeah, um, I suppose you could get me on Twitter. My address is Simon D. Clifford. 
and integer's got a a, a little website it's integer.football yeah yeah or via you dave people could get in touch yeah. and email me, email me no problem yeah well on that note good luck going forward it's great to see you in such a good place um keep up the good work keep making the differences and let's keep pushing that purpose and why and you know let's let's keep in touch as, as we've said before we can add some further gems to, to hopefully to our listeners though but thanks ever so much for giving up your time been an absolute pleasure, Dave, and thank you for all. Take care, Simon. See you soon. Thank you. Well, what a privilege and an honour it was to spend an hour or so talking with Simon, really hearing his story delivered in such an honest, open, vulnerable and humble way. He's clearly worked with some of the top people in the world of football. He's really challenged the institutions. He's brought Brazilian football and some of its key principles across to the UK and also spread that kind of approach throughout the world and really driven to make a difference. But it's clear to hear that at times that really was to his detriment and actually took him to quite a dark and difficult place, which on the surface of things, you'd wonder why, you know, having such success, building and developing a business, making a difference through a sport that he absolutely loves and really trying to challenge the world and to help individual people both become better footballers but also become better people. But it was really heartening and clear to see that sometimes our measures of success aren't quite as what they appear on the surface. And I thought Simon's articulation of his story was just phenomenally clear, honest, and actually really measured. And I really applaud and thank Simon for sharing that because I think those points will really resonate with many of the listeners. I was really struck by some of the tensions that he had between doing what he wanted to and what was success and how his ego was really driving him. But yet underneath, there was something else going on for him in terms of it being very difficult and him absolutely losing himself. So it raised really lots of questions for me about what success is, which is linked back to many of our previous podcast guests in terms of what happiness is, what success is for them in their life. How do they define that? So as always, I'd like to push some questions your way for you to consider, as I know you're looking to maximize what you do in your life. Both enjoy yourself, become happy, but also fulfill some of your passions and your dreams, as Simon set out on that journey as well. So today's questions I'd like to put to you as the first one, what ingredients do you have in your life to ensure you gain and maintain a good mental well-being? What are the connections of these ingredients that you have and your behaviours to your definition of happiness and success. And secondly, how could you plan and prepare yourself more purposefully in order to live a more fulfilling life? Some of the principles Simon really talked about was being purposeful, to being planned. At times he said that was to his detriment, but getting the right balance and having that desire and uh, system in place in which to really drive yourself forward and have a focus was something that came through really clear. And also, his planning was also something that's really helped him become really happy today. And I really wish that upon you. So have a think about how these questions, how you can really plan and become a little bit more purposeful in what you do to help you. So as always, some big questions, I appreciate that. But uh, without big questions, we're not gonna take the steps forward. Please, once again, take the questions, take the reflections that you've got from today's episode, but also from what I've posed and move them towards action. Take some small steps. You know, they often say, don't try and eat the elephant in one bite. Take some small steps, move forward, and gradually you might move towards the place you will wish to be. 
So in order to do that, again, just reflecting a little bit on Simon's journey, he mentioned about getting some really good people around you, some experienced people around you, the value of having a sounding board. So when he was in his, his deepest place where he was struggling the most, he actually blocked a lot of people away. So I'll just suggest to you again, look for expertise, look for support, look for those sounding boards to really help and support you. And as an offer for that, the Sports Stories coaching and mentoring offer is there. So have a look on our website, which is www.sportsstories247. We offer four different coaching and mentoring approaches, ranging from a three month to a 12 month program. We can bespoke them. There's loads of sort of flexibility, but the core is the real principle of helping you manage yourself to become the very best you can be and maximize your impact, whether it be professionally or personally. In addition to that, though, there is also the online program, which is going really live as we speak. I've launched it two weeks ago, so it's absolutely out there. It's maximizing your coaching and leadership impact. Really, it's a program to help you maximize what you do, whether it's be a, a personal leadership or professional leadership, or conversely, how you use the skills of coaching and coaches to really help yourself and those around you, whether it again be at home or at work. So please have a look at the program there. Again, it's on the website, so uh, take a look. And whilst on the website, again, please consider leaving uh, some feedback. Tell us how you're getting on, some of the stories. We've heard some fabulous um, feedback throughout the uh, series five here. And it's really great to hear some of the successes people are having, but also some of the challenges that they're still grappling with. Because life's not linear. It's not easy all the time. Sometimes we have obstacles, as Simon mentioned, and overcoming them sometimes lead to the successes we wish. So it's always good to hear where people are at and how we, as Sports Stories and some of the podcast guests and the mentoring pool that we have can support you on your journey. So that really begins me to wrap up uh, Series 5. It's been fantastic to have so many varied guests, some really great deep insights into people's lives and their stories. So I can't thank my guests enough for really opening up, sharing. I know that they've often enjoyed it. Some of them have found it quite difficult at times to become vulnerable and also to hear their own stories back. I know it sounds a bit strange, but often people wonder why people would want to listen. But for me, it's really driven through the principles of sports stories. The idea that we've all got a story and that we could all learn something from it is just plain to see. So thanks for listening in. Thanks for being part of my sports story and be coming on the journey with me. As the listeners, it's it's about you. Without you, it wouldn't be the podcast that it is and we wouldn't be able to build the Sports Stories brand as we are. So thanks once again. Uh, series six will be coming down the line in a, a month or so uh, where we're looking to continue with some full-blown stories, but we're also going to change it up a little bit and bring some uh, snapshots, some real deep dives into some real key themes and some key topics that are, are resonating both in the wider world, but also play out through sport. So once again, have a great time over the next couple of weeks. Please consider the uh, the website, look at the resources on there, go back, look over the uh, the back catalogue of guests, listen to them again. There's often something else in there, but most importantly, keep moving forward, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I really look forward to you joining me again, Dave Levine, on the Sports Stories podcast for Series 6 uh, in about six weeks or so. So take care and bye for now.